0: I consider everything a loss, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. This week, Los Angeles burned and all America smelled the smoke. I would suppose that every one of us at some time have seen over the past months the 81 seconds of videotape that showed the beating of Rodney King by the LA police officers. No one who looks at that tape can think anything other than that it's sickening, it's horrifying, and it's brutal. Because we saw the tape over and over again, I suppose most of us, like most of America, made up our minds that these officers were guilty of a crime. And yet it was given to a small group of men and women, including people of color, to look not only at 81 seconds of videotape, but to hear a great deal of testimony and see other evidence that took weeks to present. If you've ever been on a jury, you know that that is not an easy task, and I think few people ever take it lightly the kind of decision that must be made. And I believe those people took their job seriously. And after seeing the tape and putting it into the context of everything else that they heard over the weeks of testimony, they concluded that the prosecutor had not proven guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, which is what uh, was required by the system. Perhaps you were shocked. You were outraged, as were many other people, upon hearing what the jury had concluded. The anger in L.A. in particular overboiled, and uh, L.A. burned. Why did Los Angeles burn this week? There are several politically correct answers to that question. One answer is that it burned because of the trial's outcome. Because we had concluded they were guilty. How dare the jury conclude otherwise? Los Angeles burned because of poverty, which is so acute, especially in the south-central section of Los Angeles. Los Angeles burned because of unemployment, especially among young black men. Los Angeles burned because of disadvantage caused by years of prejudice. Los Angeles burned because of racial discrimination and oppression. I would say that in all of these responses, there can be found some truth, undoubtedly some truth. But I want to suggest to you this morning that these are but contributors External contributors as to why Los Angeles burned. I'd like for you to think with me what I be- about what I believe are the causes for Los Angeles burning. The contributors are external and partial, the causes are internal and all consuming. I believe that we can isolate at least three of them. All three deal with the heart. All three deal with attitudes, with ideas and motives. The first cause for Los Angeles burning is the sinfulness of the human condition. I know that doesn't play well in some churches in some groups. But I'm not concerned about that this morning. We need to evaluate it in the light of what God says. The human heart is depraved. The will, the mind, the emotions of man are twisted and perverted by sin. And the reason that Los Angeles burned this week in the first place is because of the sinfulness Of the human heart. Secondly, Los Angeles burned because of the pain of alienation. This last week I was privileged to be a part of a briefing in Washington, which was sponsored by the National Association of Evangelicals. It was an interesting week to be in Washington, We had a number of speakers from the government. One of them was uh, Ed Meese, who was the Attorney General of the United States under most of Reagan's years. He spoke to us the morning that Los Angeles was in flames, the day after the decision, and said that the riots that were caused there could be laid to the foot, the feet, of uh, leftists, committed leftists who are manipulating the whole situation. Well, I don't doubt that there are leftists involved in that, but I don't think that Ed Meese spoke to the real cause. became closer to hearing the cause in another one of the speakers who was chaplain of the U.S. Senate, Dr. Halverson. Dr. Halverson said, that in his thinking over recent months regarding the variety of social problems in America, that behind most of these problems, he found the problem of alienation. Whether it be homelessness or gangs, drugs or divorce, abuse or abortion, at the root of these, in his thinking, is alienation. I believe that what exploded in Los Angeles this week was the pain of alienation. And thirdly, Los Angeles burned this week because of a hunger in the human heart for significance. Every person wants to count, wants to mean something, wants to make a difference in the world. And this week in some cases, in some very wrong ways, and in some cases, in some very wonderful, heroic ways, there was a hunger for significance. And I want to say to you this morning that the only solution to what caused Los Angeles to burn this week is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that addresses the internal causes for what caused Los Angeles to burn. Our politicians, our government, the constitutional systems, the programs, none of those address the causes. They try, and they try sincerely to address some of the contributions. But only God And only the gospel that he has given to us in his Son, Jesus Christ, goes to the heart, to the root causes, which are internal. Paul has something to say about that gospel. You see, in the midst of loss, in the midst of adversity, in the midst of pain... In the midst of injustice and oppression, there is only one way to find real joy. To find real joy. And that is through the eternal gain that we have in our salvation. It is that eternal gain that provides a foundation for life, even when it seems to be in rubble. Paul, in the verses that we've read this morning, points to the value of eternal gain which every believer has in his salvation. And he gives two very instructive insights regarding eternal gain. You'll notice in the first place, he gives us this insight Beware of what can rob you of eternal gain. And as Paul thinks about what can rob us of eternal gain, he points to a couple of things in this context. The first is false religion. False religion can rob a person of salvation and eternal gain. In Paul's case, the false religion was coming from the Judaizers, a fanatic cult of Jews professing to be Christians who followed Paul around, especially in his later ministry. They would come to converts, Gentile converts especially, and try to teach them that in order to truly be saved, they had to do more than to simply believe in Christ. They had to also submit to the law of Moses, especially that part of it that relates to circumcision. They said the males have to be circumcised as prescribed as a sign for the Abrahamic covenant in order to be saved. That's necessary in addition to believing in Christ. And Paul evaluates what's happening as these Judaizers, these false teachers, spew forth their teaching. He evaluates those who teach this kind of stuff. He uses several phrases to describe them. He says, uh, they are dogs. Beware of the dogs. Now, you could not call a Jewish person much worse than a dog. Dog was unclean. He's talking about scavengers, wild dogs that run in packs. And so he turns a term on these Judaizers that they used for Gentiles because they call Gentiles dogs. And he says, in fact, they are the dogs. They're the scavengers who root around trying to find something. Undoubtedly, he's talking about the fact that they come to the ministries he's established, to the churches he's planted, and they begin to root around scavenging there and destroying them by their false teaching. He says they're evildoers. They're busy doing, but what they do is in opposition to the gospel. So they're evildoers. And he says they are mutilators of the flesh. He does a play on words here that some English translations pick up on. He says they're the concision. We're the circumcision. The word concision, as it is in some translations in the NIV, is mutilators of the flesh. He does a parody on their insistence of circumcision for salvation. He says they are nothing but mutilators of the flesh. And in contrast to them, he says, are we who are the true circumcision of God. Here he's talking about not physical circumcision of flesh. He's talking about circumcision of the heart and the cutting away and removal of sins. He says, we're the true inward spiritual circumcision. Who? Well, he describes those who believe this way. He says, we who worship by the Spirit of God. That is, who don't follow vain traditions and rituals, but who worship God out of the Spirit, being enabled by the Holy Spirit. We who glory in Christ Jesus who have their hope in Him alone, who do not worship using rituals and the external demands of the law, but who boast in a living Savior. He says, we who put no confidence in the flesh and what the flesh can produce in terms of attempting its own righteousness before God. We put no confidence in that sort of thing. False religion will rob one of eternal gain. False religion has no message for Los Angeles. False religion is any system of beliefs, values, and actions which circumvents the cross of Jesus Christ, or which adds to the simplicity of the cross work of Jesus Christ for our sins anything that circumvents the cross or seeks to add to the work of Christ at the cross is false religion. Paul makes no bones about it. False religion does not have an answer and indeed false religion can rob a person of salvation. It is tragically, sadly true that hell today is populated by people who were religious in this life and who thought they were doing what God wanted them to do, who listened to religious teachers and religious doctrine that was false and it robbed them of eternal gain. False religion leads to eternal ruin, not gain. And if you be a part of a religion today that adds anything to the work of Jesus Christ, to the simplicity of the gospel, through simple faith in what he did on our behalf at the cross, flee that religion. Flee that church. Flee that denomination. Have nothing to do with it. It's false. And false religion is a thief, it robs people of eternal gain. And secondly, Paul points to self-righteousness, and that flows right out of false religion, because in false religion, so often, a person is called upon to do something, to contribute toward his own salvation. It may be some church-prescribed ritual, or it may be some hybrid Idea that the person has in his own mind, if I do this, it'll please God. The point is that something is done by the person to help his salvation along. He makes a contribution toward it. And it builds toward self-righteousness, which does not save. Paul says if you want to talk about works religion, if you want to talk about something to boast in, if you want to talk about self-righteousness, listen to me. And he begins to pile up over here all of the things that he can boast in about himself. If somebody can boast in who they are and what they've done, Paul can beat any of them or at least match them. And he piles up layer upon layer of language describing his advantages, his benefits, what he could boast in. Paul here outlines the very heart of man-made religion. In the first place, it denies the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice for our sins, and it adds to it human works of one sort or another. And secondly, it promotes self-righteousness, by appealing to the religious and fleshly nature of man that wants to do something to impress God and believes it can. That kind of religion robs the soul of eternal gain. And it condemns its followers before God to hell. Beware of what can rob you of eternal gain. Paul gives us a second insight regarding the joy of eternal gain and salvation. He says, not only beware, but be aware of what can assure you of eternal gain. Be aware of what can assure you, guarantee to you, salvation, eternal gain. What is that? Well, Paul expresses it a couple of ways. He says, in the first place, it's the knowledge of Christ Jesus, the Lord. He says, I look at all of these things in this pile of self-righteousness and he says, I want you to know they mean nothing. He says, in fact, I count all of these things but dung, rubbish. He uses even a stronger term for human excrement. He says, that's what all of that stuff amounts to. Compared to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. It's possible to think one knows Jesus Christ without knowing him. Because the kind of knowledge that Paul has in mind here is not merely intellectual knowledge, it is the kind of knowledge that comes by experience and by relationship. We were honored this week to be allowed a time at the Supreme Court with Justice Clarence Thomas. He has not given any speeches in all these months that he, after he's been appointed to the court, affirmed to the court by the Senate, but he has had a few meetings, I suppose with people he perceives to have been supporters of his. And in the hour or so that we had with him, he, he talked about what he went through and what's happened to his life since uh, last fall, last October. At the end of it, uh, someone asked if we might have our pictures made with him. And uh, there was just an intimate little group of 85 of us. So uh, he kindly consented to do that, and we went up in groups to stand by him while someone took a picture if they had a camera. And uh, everybody that went up there shook his hand. Right there. Shook his hand. I can say today, I know Clarence Thomas. Please don't ask him if he knows me. But I can say I know him in one sense. I mean, I, I knew him before I shook his hand because when he came into the room, I recognized him. I'd seen him on television. And I'd heard his voice that... Rather monotone, deep voice with a certain dignity to it. I recognized his voice, and I can even say I've shaken his hand. I know him. But I don't know him in the sense that Paul was talking about knowing Jesus here. There are a lot of people who say, Well, I know what Jesus said. I know Jesus came to the world. I know he died on the cross. I know he rose from the dead. I know all of that. I know Jesus. But they haven't experienced him in a personal relationship. Be aware of what can bring you eternal gain. It is a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul says, I count all the advantages of my life but a pile of rubbish compared to knowing Christ personally. Do you know him personally? Has there been a point in your life where you have acknowledged your sinfulness and you've opened your heart and received him as an act of faith, asking him to forgive your sins and to give you eternal life? It's that which introduces us, which establishes a relationship that then goes on to grow. Paul puts it a different way. He says... That I may gain Christ and be found in Him. That I may be found in Him. Paul says my identity in the past that's identified with all of these things, it doesn't mean anything. The only thing that counts is that I be found in Him. That He be my identity. Los Angeles burned this week. It burned because of the sinfulness of the human heart. Is there an answer? Praise God, yes. There is an answer to the will and to the emotions, to the mind that is affected and twisted by sin. The answer is Jesus Christ. He changes the heart with all of its corrupt, bigoted, prejudiced attitudes. He changes the heart. Los Angeles burned this week because of the pain of alienation. Is there an answer? Yes. To be found in Christ, to know Him, to no longer be alienated from God makes it possible for me to be restored to others. Los Angeles burned this week because the hunger for significance. Is there an answer for that hunger? Only one. Really, only one. And that is to be identified with Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He brings significance to one's life. For this world and for the world to come. That's why I'm saying to you today that the only answer to what made Los Angeles burn this week is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's possible to be right here in this room and to have never done anything like what happened in Los Angeles. To have a fire burning inside of you, the same kind of pain and hunger and sinfulness that was overtly expressed so tragically this week. You may not have acted it out in the same way, but it's there inside and you know that. And what you need is Jesus. He is the only answer to the emptiness and to the hurt and to the pain inside of you caused by sin. And today you can have him Today, you can know Him. You can gain Christ. You have to lose everything else you're depending on. But do you mind laying down garbage to pick up Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. I don't know what you may have been trusting in in the past, whether it be religion or Works, good works even but understand that all of that means nothing it is less than zero compared to the eternal gain that you can have by coming to know Jesus Christ and gaining him as the Lord and Savior of your life and right where you're seated in the quietness of your own heart you can open the door and let him come into your life By simply acknowledging before Him, in whatever words you choose to use, the fact that you know you're a sinner. Acknowledging your need for Him and for forgiveness. And receiving Him. Asking Him to come in and to bring cleansing. To bring healing and wholeness. To bring eternal gain. And He will do that. He will. For you. Right now. Will you let him do it? Will you let him do it as he knocks on your heart's door? Dear friend, if you will, if that is your internal sincere desire, let him know it. And let me know it by lifting your hands so that I can pray for you before we go. I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out. But as a tangible indication an outward action of your inward faith right where you're seated? Will you just lift a hand so I can see it? Acknowledge it? Is there someone? Today I receive Jesus Christ and I desire to know Him. Is there one? Would you stand together with me, please? Father, I pray that today all of us who name Jesus Christ and who would profess as Paul did here to be found in him and to know him, that all of us would be taking this gospel to a world that is crumbling around us into fiery rubble because of its need for this message. Open our mouths, Lord. Give us the words, give us the courage to share this message this week with those whose lives are on fire and being destroyed by sin. We bless you for the grace that is evident at the cross and for the simplicity of the saving message of the gospel. Amen.